HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Why is Heritage Radio Network important to you? HRN is very nostalgic to go into because it's really the only place that you have this really warm, homey experience to watch people get together and talk about the things that really make a difference. It's really fun when I ask guests, do you want to be on Heritage? And they're like, Roberta's yes, 100%. I believe that we all are really trying to bring people together. I think getting more people excited about good, local, well-crafted food and away from big ag and tasteless commodity food is so important. It's kind of an honor to be sitting there with somebody in a space where so many other people have sat. Join HRN's vibrant community of thoughtful eaters. Become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Did you know that oat milk uses a lot less water, less land, and creates far less greenhouse gases than cow's milk? This useful fact is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan oat milk originally from Sweden that's now available in the U.S. You can find out more useful facts than you'd ever want to know about oat milk at Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y dot com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Marco Canora and Andrew Garner. Marco is the founder and Andrew is the CEO of Brodo, the fresh bone broth that jump-started the broth trend in 2014. That winter, Marco opened a little window next to his award-winning restaurant Hearth in the East Village. Pretty much immediately, people started lining up for coffee cups filled with Marco's delicious broth. Now there are six Brodo locations in NYC and a frozen product that they sell both online and in about 100 stores. I'm a huge fan of both of these guys and their broth, um, and I'm super happy to have you both here today. Welcome. Thank you, Allison. Thank you so much. Um, Marco, we're going to start with you. Okay. Um, so you're a James Beard Award-winning Best Chef, a James Beard-nominated cookbook writer. You were a judge on Top Chef. Mm -hmm. That's pretty rad. Um, I'm assuming from your uh, resume that you were always a food 
guy. I was. Yeah. Um, you know, I was very lucky as a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s uh, to live in a, in a home in upstate New York where, you know, my mom cooked dinner every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a kid, I would like pick zucchini flowers and, you know, <laughs> mom would make a frittata with the zucchini and zucchini flowers out of the garden. Right. Which is kind of unusual for 70s <laughs> and 80s. I feel like people so. were living out of boxes and cans by then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she she basically said she grew a garden because she couldn't find good vegetables right. at the local Grand Union. Where was she born? Um, in Lucca. Okay. In Tuscany. And so, and your father also born in Italy? Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, no, my dad was... Uh, third generation. So got he it. wasn't born and raised in Italy. Got it. Okay. But his lineage is in Calabria. Right. Got it. And when you were little, were you um, quiet? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not picturing that <laughs> no, at I all. Wasn't, <laughs> like, I, I wasn't yeah. a quiet kid. I wasn't a, I wasn't a great student. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this, I really, I fell in love with food yeah. very early on and not just, you know, I didn't only enjoy eating food, and my mom was a great cook. Yeah, but I really, uh, I was really drawn to the beauty of food. Yeah. Like as a yo- as a very young kid, I, I really was always in awe of like how beautiful food was, and still to this yeah. day, I cook at home so much, and like I I I really am in awe yeah. of the beauty of food, the colors, I the agree. shapes, the diversity. The fact that it like pleases people. Yeah. I mean, I, I am such a lover of yeah. food and it's been in my bones since I can remember. I got a um I got a, a mushroom like at the farmer's market the other day and it was yeah. like a foot wide and like a foot tall and it was just this most beautiful and then you know on the back of the mushroom those lines sure. it's like the gills. it's science and art and exactly. I mean tears rolling down my eyes. Totally. So I know how you feel. Yeah. Um but you said you were a little bit late professionally into the cooking field or yeah. were, well, you what know, were you doing? What did you look, think you wanted to be? The key word there is professionally. So my right. first job in high school was at a restaurant okay. and I was a dishwasher and I loved it. I was like the yeah. best dishwasher ever yeah. and I absolutely enjoyed it and I loved that restaurant. Yep. And through college uh, and through high school, I always worked in restaurants, mm-hmm. but I didn't really take it seriously as this is going to be my career until I landed a job at Gramercy Tavern in the late 90s. Up until then, it was just a means to, I was good at it and I liked it, but it was never thought of as like, you know, I didn't go in stage in France at 16. Like I really started in earnest in my late 20s. Did you think you wanted to do something else? Like was there, or were you just kind of like, having fun um did you think you wanted another career well as a kid i thought i wanted to be an architect okay because i was like so fascinated with the drawing board and pencils yes and the way architecture used to be before it got you know digitized Mm -hmm. uh yeah drafting Mm -hmm. i was like oh my god that's the coolest thing ever and the lines and the precision Mm -hmm. and and I really, you know, I'm kind of anal that way. Yeah. I like precision and perfection. I think there's a definite Venn diagram where a chef and an architect have I an think overlap. So. Yeah. <clears throat> For yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I worked in the music business a little bit just to just to see what it was like. Okay. Um, and I sat at a desk in Midtown across from <laughs> like the late, the late show theater, the Ed Sullivan mm-hmm. Theater. Um, and I did that for about a year and a half. Not uh, for you. 
absolutely not for me. Right. Sausage sandwiches and cans of Coca-Cola for lunch every day yeah. did not resonate with no. me. And sitting in, a, in an office and just taking phone calls and people screaming it was just not my jam. So was Tom Colicchio the chef at the time? or who At was Gramercy it? At Tavern? Gramercy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so how did you get... In the door there. Uh, I was, I, I basically just moved back to New York City uh, with my girlfriend at the time who got accepted to uh, NYU mm-hmm. grad school for film. And um, I basically, I literally put on a suit <laughs> and put a list together of places and hit the streets. And, I, right. and, and I knocked on, I knocked on like seven doors yeah. and, uh, and Tom was was you know kind enough to give me a chance. Amazing. Yeah. And we this we could spend the entire forty five minutes going through your professional <laughs> yeah, probably, chef career. I don't think anyone cares. But Let's not do that. Um, we're going to sort of fast forward to um, the day in twenty fourteen where you decide to. The way I picture it is like you always had this vat of broth on the stove <laughs> at hearth and. In my brain, <laughs> this could not be the story. So please correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong. You were like, this should be served in cups and people should just be drinking this that aren't, that, yeah. you know. You know what? It is kind of that simple. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, broth is the staple of a chef's kitchen yep. forever. I've always had hearth broth hanging around, whether it's holidays growing up as a kid or my first restaurant job and Gramercy Tavern, we had two stock kettles. Mm-hmm. And like making broth on the regular yep. is the way you build your dishes. Flavors, yeah. yeah, your flavors. Um, and also, just for people listening who might not know, it's also a really nice sustainable way to use an entire animal or to use absolutely. parts of the animal that you wouldn't necessarily eat. And you get all of the good collagen from all of the joints oh God, and all yes. that. So it's like super healthy too. One of the cool things at Gramercy is everything was cooked. We cooked all the meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. So we had a bandsaw and we'd do like little venison chops and lamb chops and beef chops. And right. everything was on the bone and we roasted everything on the bone and cut it off the bone. Right. And at the end of the night, we had like tons of like roasted bone. Yeah. And they would always get put into the stock kettles yep. uh, and they added so much flavor. Yeah, we um, actually do that at Havens too. So yeah, then, I'm sure. Why throw it away? Exactly. It's, so then you, so was there like, where did how did you get come up with like the little window and the coffee cup? Thing? Yeah. So the window, the window had always been there, mm-hmm. and I had always looked at that damn window and said, God, it's like right. It was. It, it started as my pastry kitchen, and, yeah. and the window was right on First Avenue. Yeah. Our entrance is on the street. Um, and I always thought we could sell something out there. And there were so many iterations of what I wanted to sell. It was like apple cider donuts were a big thing when we opened in 2003. Yeah. And I was like, we could just do a donut, donut window. window. Like yeah. on Martha's Vineyard, there's this famous place that sells donuts, mm-hmm. backdoor donuts. And I was like, we could do donuts. And then we could do meatball sandwiches. Yeah. Their and we pasta, could do- pasta windows were a big thing in early New York. Yeah. Where they had just like a, a vat of pasta and sauce right. and they just handed people things out the window right yeah so so there was all kinds of things i wanted to sell out that window and not <laughs> until i fell upon the brodo idea was i motivated um to really make it happen right um and that motivation came from a few different places one was you know after after grinding very hard in new york city as a chef for like 15 years and hitting my early 40s mm-hmm. i was pretty sick uh i was like fat and bloated and 
kind of, you know, not managing people well. And mm -hmm. I was a bit of a mess mm -hmm. uh, physically, emotionally. Um, and one of the many myriad of things that I did was I replaced my 10 quarts of coffee that I was drinking every day. Yikes. Um, <laughs> and I had one quart of coffee and then I would transition to drinking broth. Yeah. And I did that on the regular. And I, I believe looking back that what happened was, is I healed my gut by drinking, having daily broth. Mm -hmm. And once my gut was healed, my body was kind of empowered to start fixing yep. all the shit that was wrong with totally. it. Totally. And I really believe that. And like, I sometimes I think there's like, a lot of clinical evidence. To I that think so too. too but yeah. it's like, look, I'm very careful because I don't want to sound like a snake oil salesman. Right. But like, when I tell you, I truly believe that broth is the first trigger, to, is the first lever that fixes your gut. And then once your gut is fixed, your immune system can do the magic that yep. it's empowered to do. Totally. And it's like heals everything from like joint pain to acne to whatever the hell bothers you. Right. Fix your gut and it'll fix itself. Yep. On that note, Andrew, something tells me you had a very different trajectory. Indeed. <laughs> um, were you, so you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Montreal. Okay. Oh, I think I knew that. There's a famous, in Montreal, a famous pasta window. It's the gnocchi window um, in that one district. Probably in old Montreal. Yeah. It's, it's like, there's just a, it's like a tiny little window and they have like vats of gnocchi and it's just that covered in awesome. sauce and it's amazing. Um, Road trip. So yeah, <laughs> food in Montreal though. So were you Absolutely. were you a food kid or not really, or it was just because the food there's so good. The food is amazing. I certainly um, enjoyed the food, but um, you know my my home food experience. My mom you know would, would definitely go to you know uh, farmers markets. She was she took great pride mm -hmm. in her cooking, but it was more of a traditional. It was it was more about being around the table. Right. It was more about, you know, um, yeah, very traditional roles. But yes, I mean, I loved, you know, but very traditional Quebecois food was right. a big part of how I grew up. Sloppy Joe's, poutine. Were both of poutine. your parents from Montreal or did they, were they from other places? My dad uh, grew up in Toronto or was right. born in Toronto, but they, they met um, at, at college in, in uh, Montreal at McGill. Okay. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, it's been, it's been fun. I, I've always appreciated good food, but, you know, Certainly, we'll talk about Brodo, but right. um, on a personal level, Marco, you know, has been great at pushing me. And we're, one of the things we'll, I'm sure, talk about is we're complementary in yes. very many ways. You know, in fact, our entire company, I would say, there's almost zero overlap in skills and capabilities. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about that. And, that's, uh, a big, that's a big question. And so, yeah. and, and so, you know, my mom, again, was a great cook and took so much pride in it, but it's about coming together. He will, he will say take a picture of what you're cooking, you right. know, send me a picture of what you're cooking on the weekend, you know? And, uh, so he's always trying to push me right. to do more. Yes, and, sure. uh, and, and, you know, that's a big part of who we are as a company. So I'm a good, I'm a good uh, test right. subject at times. And you went, I mean, you, you studied business in college. Yes. Did you know you wanted to be in the business world in some way? Did you, yes. do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up when you were little? Well, you grew up in Montreal. So of course you want to be a professional a hockey, hockey player. player. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess in college, uh, so, I went to business school. Right. Um, I was surrounded, you know, my, my brother was very entrepreneurial as a kid, so I was around him a lot, and he was, uh, you know, my big brother, and he was mm -hmm. a big example. So I was always working, you know. I, right. I had a paper route. 
at a time right. when you had to, you delivered the papers and then you went and collected the money. You know, one you know. of my guests, I don't remember who it is, Maddie or Matt, you might remember. Someone said, I wasn't exactly entrepreneurial, but I was enterprising. Which I think is a really interesting way to put it. Like you weren't necessarily like, I'm going to sell you three stickers for the price of two, but you were always interested in working. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So whether that was papers, you know, working in a bank, pool company, pool cleaning company with my best friend. So I was always working. um, And how did you, because I know you kind of landed into the Mm Coca-Cola ecosystem. How did you land there? and, And what were you... Were you in like the world of CPG and how did you, what, what kind of niche did you find there? And then I want to get to how you met. Great. Yeah, I was very lucky. Um, at the time I got, you know, it was mid nineties, Coca-Cola pricing was the lowest in the entire world. And so it was a real challenge. Private label was huge in, 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 uh, in Canada, mostly led by Loblaws and President's Choice. And um, so they, Coca-Cola system, I worked on the bottling side, brought up kind of a dream team up there mm-hmm. uh, to fix it. And um, so, and one of the things they did was they put together a management training program. And I was the first person tried and hired into that management training program. Cool. So it was very, very terrific cross-functional training. And then I ended up moving into sales and I kind of did every, every different job. So there. cross-functional in the sense that you know, when we, when I talk, I always sort of break it down into like operations and then sales and then distribution and then marketing. And you kind of touched on the whole ecosystem of a CPG product. Is that With the exception yeah. of the less so on the manufacturing side, right. but started in finance, managed sales, and then did a lot of you know, sales operations work. So managed a fleet of truck drivers and sold to right. restaurant service accounts. Cool. And then I actually left, this is also entrepreneurial side, but again, leaving with some momentum um, and joined a small, uh, really one other guy doing consulting to Coca-Cola bottlers in Japan. <laughs> and um, again, cool. really interesting time. Right. I think at the time the Coca-Cola Japan was... Three percent of the Coca-Cola system's revenue and twenty percent of their profit because oh. it was all being sold through vending machines. Right. So it was a lot of focus on that, and certainly a, probably a precursor to our our view of kind of having a direct relationship with the consumer and what you is guys that mean? could have Brodo vending machines. <laughs> Don't get me started. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> so cool. Um, okay, so. All right. Again, Marco, we just actually before the show, you were saying, because I thought it was pretty quickly that you met Andrew, but it wasn't actually that quickly. But question is, like, in my case, I, you know, I I love brick and mortar. I love Mm -hmm. the cooking school. I did not want to grow that. I didn't I didn't really I looked at it and I just sort of thought, like, I'm not competing in the world of fast casual. I'm not competing in the world of cooking content. So what part of this is growable? And it seemed to me that, you know, that combined with sort of the mission of getting people cooking and what the students were saying, a product and this particular product made perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I knew going into it that I wasn't going to do it unless it was actually scalable and it was going to be different than the brick and mortar business. (laughs) I'm gathering you had the same... You wanted to create a product that wasn't just another same old. Absolutely. Right. And um, so going into it, you knew that you had to set it up in a way that was smart and strategic. And Well, look, I did not conceive of it with like this big growth plan in mind, right? right? I, I really conceived of it as 
this is going to be a cool thing to do. I'm going to have some fun doing it. I'm making broth anyway. Uh, right, but you weren't making I, that much broth. No, right, I'm making right. a two two thirty <laughs> gallon right. pots in the basement that I still make today. Yeah. Um, and not until I launched it and did it really catch on fire did I realize, like, you have holy to hell, the like thing. there's some there's an opportunity here that yeah. I'm I'm very excited to try to yeah. you know capitalize on. Um, but like you. Look, hearth is 16 years old, mm-hmm. and I have done very little outside of... I do not want another hearth. Right. It is just too operationally yeah. challenging. It's not very... It's not a great business at all. No. It's the last thing I want to scale. I look at the John Georges of the world, and I'm like, how on God's green earth does this man yeah. operate 100 awesome restaurants <laughs> around the globe? Like, yeah. It blows my mind. Yeah. So... You know, one of the things that I really loved about the notion of broth is like the simplicity of it. And, you know, I've learned a lot in the last four years. Mm-hmm. But back in the day when I launched it, I was like, this is perfect for growth because, you know, what I thought was like high yield, mm-hmm. which I learned it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But at the time, I was like, wow, you could make a big pot and you get a ton of this stuff. Right. And then I season it once and then I freeze it. Uh-huh. And it's just like perfect. Yeah. I don't need any. I don't need humans. <laughs> yeah. It's just like yeah. it's this thing that I could make right once and then have like 500 yeah. of them. Uh, and well, I thought like that is such the path to scalability mm-hmm. and growth. And like you, I didn't know shit about right. commercialization. No grocery. No. I mean, I really had, had start. I, I really, yeah. I had this like vision and this idea and notion of like how easy it would be. Yes. And like, yeah. holy cow, it turns out it's probably harder than the restaurant business. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think what's funny is people will say sort of like, do you know how hard CPG is? And I'll be like, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but I'm also in the other hardest industry in the world and, right. and we're still okay and you figure right. it out, you know, and you totally. learn and you ask questions and you meet people. I think like both things, you know, I heard something really good. It, you can talk about all uh, everything, but at the end of the day, it comes down to product, team and market. Yep. And if you have a great product and a great team, but there is no market for your product, good luck. <laughs> good luck. So you happen to hit at a very good time because I think you partially helped to create that market for sure. But between sort of like people looking into all of the functionality that there is Mm -hmm. also kind of sort of a resurgence in, you know, whole animal eating or even Mm -hmm. just even if it's the vegan one, just all of the, you know, the benefits that you can get from eating this way, especially like, you know, the keto thing and the whole thing. You hit the market at the right time, but you knew, and this is where I kind of want to get to, you knew you wanted to grow it. Um, Did you know, did you, did you say to yourself, if it hits this, then I'm really ready to go out and hire a CEO or were you just kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to hire a CEO. Cause what I, what I love about this is I don't think I've had someone on yet who, cause at some point I might find out I'm not a CEO. Mm -hmm. I might be a really good founder. Mm -hmm. I hope, I hope, but But you knew going in that you wanted a CEO, which I think is Absolutely. a very um, what self knowledge thing. Self aware is well, the word I'm looking for. Thanks, yeah, Andrew. and you know, Tom Colicchio was the master at realizing where his weaknesses were mm-hmm. and hiring 
for his weaknesses. Yeah. So I, you know, Katie. I could, he would, he, yeah. yeah, Katie Greco. Yeah. Um, you know, he's the master at that. Yep. So, and, and he was, you know, I worked under him for almost 10 years. So, so I learned a lot from watching him yep. do his thing. And like, look, I'm, I'm a creative, I'm an artistic guy and I'm a cook and that's, that was my world. So when we launched the window and <laughs> it went off the rails yeah. and people were buying these frozen glass jars like crazy. Yeah. And people were like running up to the window with like an insane amount of enthusiasm. Yep. And then I watched the space kind of erupt. Yep. I watched a lot, a lot of uh, brands that had their toe in the water of selling what a, a premium broth kind of explode. Mm-hmm. I really felt a lot of pressure to move quickly. Right. And I've heard you interview people, and and uh, you know I really pay a lot of attention and read and listen a lot. Um, and everyone speaks to how quickly things happen today Yeah. in a way it didn't happen so quickly a decade ago. Yeah, for sure. And boy, did I watch that happen because like in three years time, there's like 70, yeah. there's 70 brands of premium broth yep. out there. Well, so, I think there are a couple, I mean, we've talked about this too, but there are a couple of reasons for that. One, it's a lot easier to raise money on just an idea now than it ever was. Yeah. You don't even have to have a product and you can raise money as long yeah. as you're willing to give away a bunch of equity. Yeah. You know, the other is packaging. Everyone can design everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, I think the biggest one is probably the internet, you know? Because sure. you can make something in your in your bathroom. And if you put up a cool Instagram page, you can do, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales. Yeah. Like, no off doubt. the, you know, just by buying some ads. And grocery is more open to taking on smaller brands. For right? sure. Your, your last guest was just speaking yeah. about that. They're not as picky anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I it's interesting. Well, I have thoughts about that. Mm. I think I think it's actually kind of hard to get through a buyer, especially in a crowded category. Because um, there really are only so many slots on a shelf. So they're not right. as willing to take a risk as I think maybe James thought they were. But yeah. he knows. He knows. So anyway, so anyway there was a lot of, it, there yeah. was a lot of, pre- you know, I felt a lot of pressure to move quickly yep. and, you know, I made some mistakes early on, like our first CEO hire, it was like, I was on, I fell under the gun and I, I kind of pushed that decision too quickly mm-hmm. and I hired somebody from corporate world mm-hmm. and it was like the worst idea ever. And it was such it's a bad, not a good fit. It was not a personal. good fit. Yeah. It's like he came from massive corporate yeah. world to startup New York City restaurant guy who right. opened up this window. Like he was <laughs> like, holy shit, like right. what's going on? Yeah. And it's why, you know, I'm so grateful to have Andrew on board now because, you know, he was a local guy. He had a really great work ethic. Yeah. While he did come from somewhat of a corporate environment, right. it was just uh, it was just very different. Yeah. It wasn't like a big Campbell soup type yeah. corporate thing. And, um, you know, as you know, it's like when you're a young startup, especially omni-channel like we are, it's like our core group of people headed up by Andrew, mm-hmm. it's like we do a million things. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get to it's crazy. how it looks now. Um, I'm going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk about how you guys have structured the team and how you manage conflict and all Ooh. sorts of fun things. <laughs> we'll be right back. In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. 
About 30 years ago, in a small town in Sweden, a scientist invented oat milk, and everyone thought he was totally crazy. Fast forward to New York 30 years later, and we just can't keep it in stock at Haven's Kitchen. That's because it tastes great and foams really well in coffee, but I think also a lot of the customers at Haven's Kitchen drink it because it has much less environmental impact than regular cow's milk and uses a ton less water to produce than almond milk. So while it's an amazing product, I think more and more people in the U.S. and around the world are starting to understand the benefits of eating and drinking oat milk. You can find out more about Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden at Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y dot com. You listen to Heritage Radio Network because, let's face it, you have really good taste. You care about where your food comes from, who made it, and its impact on the planet. Whether you're looking for an inspiring interview with your favorite celebrity chef, the latest on Dave Arnold's Spinzall, or if you want to get down and dirty with some agricultural policy, we've got you covered. 10 years in and 13,000 episodes later, HRN continues to be the go-to media outlet for thoughtful eaters like you. And we never could have done it without the support of our listeners. Help Food Radio continue in the future and help us raise enough funds for the year to come. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And since you've got such good taste, we have some very cool member gifts for you to choose from. Thanks for listening and for being a part of the HRN community. I'm back with Marco and Andrew from Brodo. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what the business looks like now. So... From production, obviously you're not you're not making a hundred stores and like a subscription base in my basement in your basement anymore. And w- Andrew, were you there for like the the sort of migration from the basement to a more industrialized system? Not, not phase one. Not phase one. And then is phase one what it looks like now or no? Okay. So what does it look like now? Where are you producing? How are how how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah. So, um, as Marco mentioned, he still produces in the basement of Hearth. <laughs> right. um, where, yeah, we, we are significantly exceeding that capacity. Yes. So, some of the work that Marco had done before I joined was finding a co-manufacturer. Right. And I'll, I will throw it back to him because because his standard of how he wanted to make broth I did not imagine. exist in the world. No. <laughs> so... He, they went through a very long process, um, and he can talk to you about some of his requirements, which I respect all the time. Uh, but one of the challenges was that that location could make the broth in bulk, but it could not put it into packages that were CPD, CPG uh, right. ready. Right. So when so I joined... So you had another yeah. leg of the journey, so they would make it, and then you'd have to... T- oh, yeah. Correct. That, so we were making it in bulk. Just listeners, founders... Any leg of the journey <laughs> that you add is going to add cost, and that <laughs> is bad. So try to have as few legs as possible. Back to you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, so the good news is, you know, we had a we had a product that was 
you know, made one place, shipped somewhere else, packaged, uh, shipped back again, oh. and we were doing fairly large runs. And so frozen they were, all the way? Correct. In fact, so Aye. imagine frozen, no, unfreeze, I mean, freeze. Yeah. yeah. And so so um, the good or bad news is um, we didn't go, we couldn't go Super very far. Super easy, Marco. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. We couldn't Smart. go very far with that package. Right. And it was very, very expensive. So um, since then, we, we, we've chipped away at that. Um, we now can, you know, Produce and fill in in the same location. Amazing. We've got Amazing. another lo we've got another location. Um, oh, so we have three co manufacturers mm -hmm. now that we um, have that we use, yeah. and they've trained on the the Marco way. So um, so yeah, that's that's it's. But you know, as you know, in that co packer world, it takes a while to undo and redo and yeah. manage through the inventory. And so uh, this this December, we're actually rolling out a new CPG package. Which is going to be smaller, um, rebranded, oh. and we're extremely excited about it. Okay, cool. Because I know the two. I know the one that's like the bigger frozen one that I keep in my freezer and I defrost, or I just like. I like how it slides out of the court <laughs> into the pot. Like I'm Thump. always worried it's not going to, and <laughs> yeah. it just like like slides right out. I love that. <laughs> and then the sippy cups. Um, or I call them sippy cups, but yep. they're the ones with like the, the single sticker. Serve. Yeah, the single serves. Yeah. I love those too. Yeah. So are those, those are both not going to be? Those, so the, the, the single serve will survive in certain channels mm -hmm. and then the uh, 30 ounce is migrating to the 22 ounce. Got it. Okay. Um, and then in terms of sort of, Marco, you use the word and I just want to be very like, non-jargony as I can omni-channel I mm -hmm. think people who are listening to this consistently at this point have heard me say it enough but yep. how do you kind of I always talk about a pie chart um mm -hmm. so you have the stores yes um are they or shops or shops would you guys consider those real revenue makers or are they more like a marketing line item etc for the they're yeah. absolutely um, revenue. revenue and profit. Um, right. Not all of them are humming exactly the way we'd like yet, but right. um, we are absolutely committed to them as a way to you so know, expand the category. So that's going to be, in your pie chart, a nice wedge. Absolutely. Yeah. And so is it kind of like scoop shops for a Jenny's type of thing where you just plan on having them all over the place? Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the one of the books I brought to my interview was uh, Pour Your Heart Into It. Um, so the Starbucks story. Oh. And um, so, yeah, we've definitely talked about this notion of, of, you know, early precursors of coffee. And everyone mm -hmm. thought they were crazy to be coming with $4 coffees. And here we are with something that is uh, admittedly a premium product, but... We like the idea of being in neighborhoods. Totally. And neighborhoods is what drives, you know, health and neighborhood is what drives cooking if we can help people do that. And you obviously And you don't need example. a big footprint, which is so great. Right. I mean, I can't open a, a, you know, what's the square footage on those? Like tiny, tiny. Well, yeah. we have our, our smallest one is uh, is in Astor Place right now, which is about 150 feet. But I mean. The, 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 the largest great. one is uh, about 600. Seven, yeah, 700 square feet, including yeah. the basement. Right. right. I mean, that's great. You know, yeah, for Manhattan, especially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really for anywhere, because you can yeah. kind of like pop up anywhere like we were for talking sure. about. And then going back to the channels, um, I know you have a subscription on your website. Yep. Um, do you I'm always curious about this because we can't do anything really like that. We're trying to figure out if we can or what it would look like or selling directly. But sauce mm -hmm. is a little different. I am a good target for a subscription of broth. 
how do you see that? Are you, are you, are you leaning into that? Or do you think that, you know, people will be buying it off of your website more or less or how do we you are leaning into it? You want me to take that? Yeah, go ahead. we are leaning into it right now. Um, but it's been most, mostly because we were getting so many requests. Right. So we started fulfilling them out of the, the basement of <laughs> right. our Hudson job, which yeah. was That's hilarious. Amazing. And, um, so, and we have some great photos of that because you have to see the basement of our Hudson job. <laughs> That's my um, shop. So, so, um, so that was, you know, step one. And then we were getting requests from people on the West Coast mm -hmm. and, uh, we, they were shipping it, you know, air over. And, and how so do you handle the shipping? I mean, do you, they pay for shipping for like FedEx frozen overnight or, or like how two do you, day. two day. So we, we, we really, originally we were shipping it over there by air because, and people were absolutely paying for it. Yeah. But, um, it's obviously not something we knew was sustainable. So right. we now, um, we use ground. And then we have a really great package that um, is a biodegradable um, insulation that right. you can basically, you know, wash down your sink. And so um, we, we, we are believers in it. I think that it will morph over time, but certainly outside of New York, it's a great opportunity yeah. for us to spread the brand. Right, for sure. I mean, that's, that's the number one reason to do it because, like, I think I've said this a thousand times on the show, too. Like, we haven't really even been able to do national press because you mm -hmm. can't there's no call to action. So right. you go to our website and then thump nothing. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that you would, you know, it's, it's a good idea. And then what, what like percentage of that pie chart would you say is the plan for grocery distributed shelves? Like, is that the big kahuna? <laughs> so it's absolutely part of the growth plan, but I think we've got a, a bunch to prove still. Right. And so, you know, if we're honest, it's it's definitely part of the plan. We have, you know, very clear objectives in, in by channel. Um, but, you know, that ha it hasn't been the... We, we self-distributed to the Williamsburg Whole Foods for about a year. Mm -hmm. uh, we done we did really well there, and then we've um, you know worked our way from there. John Lawson's been a great partner, and yeah. he's extended us out gradually. But you know he's been a good partner to say, look, don't don't go too fast. Yep. Um, so we now are in um, we were in all of Manhattan, and then we were in yep, all of the Northeast, right. and you know he's now trying to to connect a few dots for us into other regions. So we've been. Um, you know, slow, you know, running that one pretty slow. Um, and a lot of it also was because of the package. Right. We, we knew, yep. we knew right. there was like the people who really wanted it would, would buy it. And, but you know, we had some performance issues with the package. Yep. There was a lot going on. No, and so. that's his whole, I mean, his whole thing, which is so smart is like make all of your mistakes when Go they're slow. not yeah. everywhere, you know, when you can still fix them, you know, which you, which you guys are doing exactly. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, when we go back to sort of like that team product market, mm -hmm. right? Team, we're going to talk about the two of you, especially product we've, we've covered, I think market. Um, do people think, and I mean, Marco, you and I have talked about this. I think people think of broth as functional. Mm -hmm. I think they think I'm getting my collagen and it's, it's good for my microbiome. Um, I don't think that they know how good it can taste, mm -hmm. um, especially if they haven't had yours. Right. So how are you, are there other, I don't know, sorry, but are there other broths in Frozen right now or are most of them in Shelf Stable? And if there are other ones in Frozen, 
how are you thinking about sort of distinguishing yourself? Mm -hmm. But if they're mostly in shelf-stable, my guess is that there's a big price difference between the shelf-stable broths and yours, and how mm -hmm. are you going to get people to migrate over to frozen? Big question. Yeah, that is a big question. And it's been, you know, it's been on our mind for sure, right? Like the vast majority of broth has been shelf stable mm -hmm. and it's been shelf stable for many, many, many decades. Yeah. So the whole functional thing, you know, really just came Goes away. <laughs> just, it's a for late, you know, it's lately yeah. that we've been talking about the functionality of it. You know, the funny thing is, is like most of those shelf stable broths are really just very watery. They don't have much protein. Salt. They don't show any gelatin yeah. and they're not made well. So there, there's no functionality with like 90% of the shelf stable broths that are on the market. Yeah. Um, you know, getting people to, to understand to go to frozen for broth yeah. is a huge challenge for us. Right. I don't think, you know, your local grocery guy is not going to be okay with putting a big sign in the shelf stable area that says, no. go find the I better know. broth and frozen. It's so funny. I wish. <laughs> we said the same thing. We're like, maybe we could just put a sign. Like there's also fresh sauce over there. Exactly. By the, you know, I right. mean, how else yeah. will they know? Right. But so. you guys have such a great side by side. I mean, I'm just picturing my, when I pour out the, you know, and the, you can see the collagen 100%. sticking to right the thing versus like pouring out one of those yucky yeah. you in, know, the, I've been, in the Tetra pack. <laughs> For like three years now, I've been saying like, I want to do the Pepsi challenge yeah. of broth, you know, yeah. and like, here are the competitors and taste them because totally. I really, I, I believe once people try it, yeah. they will come back, yeah. which is, uh, you know, I've learned this from you, which is like a really important piece of growing a CPG brand yeah. because, you, you know, you need, to you got to get them to, and then it's like, do they come back? And if they do then you're on to something, yes. right? It, that's, um, that's the ticket. And, you know, one of the concerns that we have is there's a lot of uh, broth out there that doesn't taste great. Yeah. So if I'm a new consumer introduced to bone broth and the functional benefits of bone broth, and I'm like, wow, I'm going to try this bone broth thing, mm -hmm. and you go and buy some, like, mm -hmm. shelf-stable, weird premium broth, mm -hmm. and you taste it, and it's like it turns people off from the category. Yeah. So we're really working hard at trying to educate consumers, educate yep. consumers, which as you know, is very difficult yeah. and very expensive. Yes. Um, but like, I've never been afraid of a challenge. Yeah. I've been working in the restaurant business in know, New York exactly. City for you 20 years. You can't deter so, you. Like, no, like I'm fine. Yeah. I like, think, I'm, yeah. I, you know, I think slow and steady wins the race. Totally. I think that we have an incredibly delicious broth yep. that shows gelatin. And if people start cooking with it, they're going to be like, oh my God, that's the best soup I ever made. Yep. Or that's the best pan sauce I ever made. And yep. I got to believe that that will drive... Yeah. Uh, you know, people coming back to our brand. I think the other thing, and I'm going to pat us on the backs mm. for a moment. Like, I think that being, you know, I kind of always talk about sort of the, the finance founders and then the food founders. Mm -hmm. And like, we might not know how to make a spreadsheet and we might not like be very equipped at like a PNL or mm -hmm. whatever, but we, I think are a little bit more, um, We'll try things that don't necessarily have a very clear return on investment. Yeah. So I think we intuitively know that we both are going to spend a lot of money on demoing. Like, we just yeah. are. And we should. And that's mm -hmm. okay. 
And someone from like a more traditional finance background might be like, well, how do you, you're not going to be able to, that's my financial background voice. Yes. <laughs> that's, I have my like, I have my voices Nicely of like, done. I have like the douchey guy voice and then I have the financial background voice. But that's, you know, we're going to, that's how we're going to do it. We're going to get a lot of people to taste it because they taste yours and they taste, and they, the minute that they taste it, they're hooked. That's the hope. And then you got to get them past the price point. But if you're changing your sizes a little bit, it seems like maybe there's a little bit of room in the price yep. point that's going to happen also. But it's also, if it's a catalyst for making something, then all the numbers change, right? So if I can take a broth right. and I can make it into a fantastic meal or soup or what have you, yep. suddenly, you know, that you know, that money I'm spending yep. has got a lot more leverage. Totally. Um, and by the way, you know, if you drink broth instead of a big meal yep. and you substitute for a little less, mm -hmm. which, you know, I think even in the fast casual world, I find even the healthy um, companies, there's just so much that you get. Yeah. And so um, if it's checking that box, it says, wow, I just had a meal and I feel great. Mm -hmm. Then everyone's a winner. Yeah. You know? As a, you know, so. so getting back to team, let's talk about um, when a founder is not a CEO. <laughs> Um, when, have you guys ever had an argument? I don't, I mean, maybe little ones, nothing major. Okay. I would agree. Yeah. All right. I mean, have you, we, we disagree on things for sure, but I think how, we're both pretty, I think we're pretty, I wouldn't say we're conflict diverse, but I think we're pretty good at working through conflicts. Right. So where, like, where do you, are you, do you come with like the standards and the vision and you're kind of like the you know the pied piper of the whole thing and you andrew are the make it happen and be the grown-up in the room kind of thing like how does <laughs> how do you I, divide how do you I, do you have job descriptions written down I, I don't have a job description i will say that i was very very clear from moment one that uh you know part of what excites me about this is the notion of learning Mm -hmm. Because I basically had my head in an oven yeah. running kitchens That's for two decades, mm -hmm. and I was over it, and I wanted to do something else. And when we landed on this broth thing and we realized we wanted to grow it, I made it very clear to everybody who was ever hired, like, look, I may not be an expert, but I want to learn, yep. so you better include me yeah. in the conversation and in the decision process, if for nothing else, because I want to learn. Yeah. And I want to get better and I want to understand. And by the way, I have a point of view. Yeah. And it's <laughs> and, hard to uh, be the visionary for something if you're totally not yeah, connected to the reality no of it's how like, it gets made. I, I def this is so much my baby and yeah. I care so much about our mission and and the product. And it's like it would be foolish for me not to be involved. Right. But I gotta tell you when you know, there's, there's weekly calls about, you know, the subscription services that are happening. And these guys are like going at it about the nitty gritty. Like, I'm so happy to be yeah. like, I, I feel really lucky. Yeah. And I'm very grateful to it, have, you're not to have Andrew it. because yeah. it's like, I, I really am, you know, I, I'm so fortunate to have Andrew to deal with some of the shit that I don't yeah. want to deal with. And I realize that I'm lucky, uh, because I get to kind of, be like, I can't deal with this conversation right now. He can't do that, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> I'm sure he wants to do that sometimes. Right. Um, so it wor it works. And the org chart, I mean, how many people are now on the team? Um, two of us, and then we have um, 
five other full-time. And do they all... Including, of course, we have 50 or 60 shop yes. staff. Yes. And they all report up to you, Andrew. There's a couple of sub-reporting relationships in there. Okay. So uh, I have uh, four direct reports. Got it. And then what is the cadence of the... Do you meet every week? Do you guys have a phone call at the end of every day? How have you organized the time and sort of systemized the relationship? Mm -hmm. It's a, Well, we do have a weekly shop meeting that's more focused on the shop, so we tend to digress into all sorts of things <laughs> at times. So I wouldn't pretend that we have a super tight you know, process, um, but I think we communicate a lot, and we run ourselves like a small company. Fridays, we meet at Hearth, which is very nice place to meet. If right. you stick around, maybe you can get family meal or something. <laughs> and so our, 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 our staff, um, I think, enjoys that. And I think Marco, he does have some very clear roles, whether implicitly or explicitly. One, right. he's obviously, around, you know, leads on the manufacturing side. Mm -hmm. He's very involved in the sourcing. So when we go on sourcing, just, you know, trips, he's, he's front and center. Right. He's building those relationships. He's very involved in products. Our product has actually morphed quite a bit, both in the shops and in the grocery world. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, occasionally he'll go back to, you know, old Marco chef Marco right. yelling and, you know, how so, many years have we been making pasta together? <laughs> is there a COO or not yet, no? Not yet. So it's you mm -hmm. and then there's sort of like a big, a, like a big sort of step to the next tier of leadership. Yeah. So, so, well, yeah. I don't know if it's a big step. We're all pretty tight, tightly uh, connected, but we have someone who basically does all the shop operations uh -huh. and then we have someone who helps gives them leverage for um, uh, managing our supervisors right. and we have a uh, uh, head of uh, logistics so dealing with dealing from the co-manufacturer into okay, the warehouse so that's good into that you, the, you don't have to deal into with that, that. Yeah. and then um, and then we have um, you know a combination of marketing and customer service support right. as well and what so. about sales we just uh, hired a great new salesperson so we're pretty excited about that awesome and are you is the goal for 2020 just kind of keep doing the independence and the small natural grocers? Do you want to expand sort of geographically? Do you, like, how are you thinking about it? I think it's not going to be, um, we're certainly interested in expanding and we think we've got a great package to do that. Right. But again, we're, you know, to some degree, we're following the leads of our, of our, uh, of our buyers and mm -hmm. I think we got great relationships with them. Fresh Direct was a hu huge early supporter of yeah. ours and, um, you know, we um, we went we got it pulled into Food Kick, and then pretty quickly we were on Fresh Direct, yeah. and so they've been terrific with us. They're as awesome. Well. They really are. They're they've great. been like, I, I, I mean, I have very their transition like, was a little challenging, but yeah, uh, it's they've been such a great partner for yeah. us. Um, when did you know that you had an app? Like, when did you know this was like gonna be a thing? Like, when was this like okay, this is actually a business, and now I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing this business now. Uh. I knew pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked when we when I opened the window. Um, I worked that window for three months, mm -hmm. like every day, all day long. I fulfilled every cup of broth, and <laughs> it went from like the first day, you know, doing like a hundred and sixty dollars in sales. Yeah. Um, and like six weeks later, it was like ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, absolutely ridiculous, and like. And I kind of knew then because I was, again, I was really watching health and wellness. I was reading a ton about nutrition um, and, 
it was just all over. Yeah. It, it went it went viral. I'm so like glad crazy that viral. you haven't watered it down. I remember in 2014 reading about it and being like, I hope that this doesn't become like the juice world where they've taken something so good and so real and in order to cost cut and make it, you know, have a shelf life, mm -hmm. they end up, you know, killing everything, adding everything and watering the whole thing down. And you haven't, you well, haven't. We, we've been asked to. I'm sure you have times. because it's expensive. Yeah. But I, you know. But that's why I love Frozen. Yeah. I'm so into Frozen. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the problem with all the juice stores is like, oh, after 24 hours, you have to throw it away. Yeah. Well, yeah. Organic Avenue threw away 30% of everything. And yeah. like, it's not a viable business. No. If you're using really good ingredients, yeah. doing it right, and then throwing away 30%. Yep. It's no. just not viable. Frozen is great. It's just, it's expensive and the margins are crappy. And there's just a lot. I mean, trucks are, trucks, trucks are hard and trucks are really hard when they have to be temperature controlled yeah. and then they have to go far. Um, but it's a big growing category. Yes, for sure. I agree. Um, and then what do you wish for both of you? What do you wish you would have known earlier for the people listening? What, what's like a good chunk of advice that you wish someone had given you? Um, I think just reminding ourselves that nobody's really done what we've done, mm -hmm. you know? So I think, you know, we, we continue to look for expertise, and I think we're both very open to expertise. And I think Marco, as the business guy, looks to me a lot for mm -hmm. the answers. You but are the business guy. Sometimes yeah. I say, you know, nobody's done this before, so let's we're going to have to figure it out. Right. And that's a big part of what I um, have enjoyed about it and why I took the role. But I think it's easy to forget that sometimes. Mm -hmm. and shows like yours for absolutely help us avoid some of the mistakes, but... We've been getting, we've been ignoring a lot of advice along the way, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I hope it, I hope it serves us well because right. I think the food system like water needs to change. Yeah. And yeah. We Make it a powder. We're gonna do the Make hard work to help it. Yeah. Jesus, um, well, there is a lot of evidence that that you know, especially millennial consumers, they know the difference between quality and lack of quality, and they might buy something crappy once, but they're not going to buy it again, like we said. And they are willing to pay a premium for quality. Mm -hmm. Like for sure. more and more people, it's the same thing with clothing. You're going to have like your really nice watch and then your really meh stuff, but you're not going to have that middle so much anymore. And I think it's the same with food. They're going to be, they're going to buy bulk where they can buy bulk and they're going to, you know, spend less where they can in like commodity food. Yeah. But when it comes to sort of like the things that are really going to like sort of shine in their diets or in their lives they're willing to pay the money for it you know um any words of caution or advice well you know one patience and go slow you know slow and steady like i've always been a slow and steady guy mm -hmm. and i kind of fell victim to yeah you know the success of that window kind of lit a fire under me that i wish i would have blown out yeah. Um, or because I didn't, a little or bit. tempered a little yeah. bit. Like I didn't need to feel a, as anxious as I did. And yeah. I wish I would have just like calmed down and taken some breaths and realized like it's okay. Um, and but, Marco, last question for you. For the founders listening, what do you think they should be looking for in themselves where they should consider that maybe they should find themselves a CEO? Hmm. I don't, you know, look, I think it's an ego thing. And now that I'm, you know, <laughs> turned 50, it's like, I don't, 
I think you just have to acknowledge and accept uh, the things you're not good at. And, like, I'm absolutely not ashamed of it. It's not an embarrassing thing. Like, I, I it's, it's not a big deal to admit that what you're not things? great at something. I don't know, like, whether it's a, a spreadsheet or negotiating <laughs> a contract. Right. It's like... I can't read through a legal document to save my life. Like right. I want to shoot myself in the face. Yeah. Like, I can't, it's like yeah. Chinese. Yeah. Right. And like, that's fine. And yeah. it's like, I, I hire an accountant to do my taxes. Yeah. Um, so look, I've made a great product. I'm a chef. I care about the sourcing. I care about the animals. I care about the people, you know, there's a lot that I care about and there's a lot that I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of those things. And, uh, and I'm so, you know, I'm thrilled to have Andrew on board. Like, yeah. we're a dynamic duo. Yep. And we complement each other really well. And I think that there's a lot of uh, power in that, right? Yeah, so totally. don't try to be a hero. Yeah. It's so silly. Awesome. Andrew, do you have any last thought that you'd like to add? I always try to let Marco do the vast majority <laughs> of the talking because he is our best salesman, <laughs> convinced me to take this leap. Um, but I will say that we we spend a lot of time on strategy together. Yeah. 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 Listen, two brains are better than one is all I can say. Can, um, I, can yeah. I quickly say something? Sure. I just want to acknowledge like this podcast and what you've done is like so generous. And I'm like so Marco. like uh, thrilled at the work you've been doing because it's like it's really you're basically doing it to help everybody else. And it speaks volumes about you know, who you are. Thank you. Well, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Uh, On that note, thank you. Um, Matt, thanks for being the best engineer all season. This is the last episode of the season. We'll be back in January with um, more really fun guests. Um, I did start this to help people because I realized that I get to meet a lot of people that are a lot more, you know, smart and experienced (laughs) in this stuff and, I shouldn't keep those conversations to myself. So if you are liking the podcast, um, it would be nice if you could go on to iTunes and rate it just because it does help other people get to listening to it. Um, thank you for a great season, and we'll be back in January. Thank you thank so you much. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.